So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke this morning. The Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in a very famous passage of Scripture. And it's one that, quite frankly, when we preach on Christmas series and the narratives of Christmas, it is difficult, if you were to poll pastors, I would tell you that the month of December when preaching through a Christmas series is difficult. Not because there's something exegetically difficult in the breaking down of Scripture, uh, but what it is is you all have been there and done that, right? You know the stories. You know what has happened. And greater pastors than myself have shared incredibly deep and profound insights. And it's hard to go back to these passages again and again and try to find something new, something creative. And so what I want to do, not only this week, but with our weeks uh, in the days to come as we explore the cast of Christmas, is not so much try to dig for something new, but to really put ourselves in the story, to put ourselves in there and ask the question, what is the part that I play? How do these first recipients of the Christmas message, the first recipients of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, how did they respond and how might I respond in 2019? You see, one of the things that I love about the Christmas story is that it involves everybody. Growing up in the church that I was at, uh, one of the highlights of the year for us as kids was that Christmas pageant. Now, we never won an Academy Award for it, even though our parents probably would have given us one. It was awesome because no matter how big the group was, there was a part for everyone to play. Now, there were some coveted spots, let's be honest, to be Mary or Joseph. That was big. When I was younger, it was always Gabriel who got the, uh, the chief role in the playbill, if you will. There was something about this cool angel that came and freaked everybody out when he showed up, and then he got to speak on behalf of God. But then there were Smaller parts, smaller parts within larger groups, the angelic choir that we're going to learn about today, the shepherds. You know, sometimes we had two or three shepherds in our group, and then there were other times when the church was a little bigger that we'd have 10 or 12 shepherds tending to the flock. And then there were the one-liners, you know, the innkeeper and uh, King Herod. Then there were the guys that had the cool outfits. Those were the wise men. They were a lot of, lot of fun to play. But then there were the unknown ones, the Simeons and Annas, parts that were to be played by older people because they were the ones who had been waiting and waiting all their life for Jesus to come. And then there were those that after uh, the practices had started and the parts had been laid out, there were the parts that nobody wanted to play. I remember one year, because I was a stout feller, that my job was to stand on a ladder, I was afraid of heights by the way, to stand on a ladder with this terrible, and I'm so thankful we have no photos of it, of this massive cardboard star that I was to play. I didn't say anything, I didn't do anything, I just stood there, okay? All of that tells us something about you and me. 
This Christmas, as we come again to another Christmas season, for me, it is my 43rd Christmas that I've been a part of. It, it, it in many ways, can become rote or redundant. But as we look at the cast of Christmas this month, as we kicked it off with the prophets last week and the part they played, as well as um, the wise men, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, Herod next week, and the angels and shepherds today, what we learn about ourselves is that no matter how small or insignificant we may think we are, we all play a part in God's story. Don't ever forget that. Maybe you're not up front. Maybe you don't have a microphone in your hands. Maybe you aren't the leader of that small group that you're a part of. Maybe what you do is behind the scenes. Maybe nobody but God and you know what you're doing. I want you to know that the Christmas story throughout the gospel narratives reminds us that no matter who we are, big or small, young or old, we all have a part in the redemptive story of Jesus Christ to the world. And so find it. Search like the wise men did, high and low, to find your part in the Christmas story. Because what we see for the vast majority of those who played their part, in fact, the only ones that I think maybe might have missed out on the opportunity in the story were Herod and the innkeeper. Everyone else seemed to be filled with joy and excitement. And what happens when we find our place in the story of God's redemption through Jesus Christ is we give praise and honor to God. And that's exactly what the shepherds did when they heard the message of the angels. So let's turn our attention to, again, a very famous passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, and then moving through to verse 20. This is how it goes. You know it as well as I do. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, and this is where we're going to focus our attention, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told of them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and now we ask for you to open our hearts 
Lord, we ask that through the singing and through the opportunity to gather together, we would be reminded of the great importance you play in our lives. The disciples recognize what we too must recognize apart from you, that we can do nothing. So Lord, I pray that we would seek earnestly, we would seek earnestly to find our place with you. For some, that will mean bowing the knee to Jesus for the first time, confessing their sin and and seeking your salvation that you freely offer to all. For others, it will mean a new set of priorities, a new set of of daily sacrifices in order to experience afresh and anew what it means to walk and talk with you. So now, Lord, I pray that we would learn from this incredible story and be able to walk away knowing that you have truly been in this place. We love you, and we give you praise for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. With each part of the cast... With each member of the cast, there's a job to play. And with each member of the cast, there is a different job or responsibility in this story of Christmas. The angel who appears to the shepherds, his job is to announce breaking news. And we have individuals that break news to us today. The problem is, is in recent years, we have come to doubt whether these people are sharing the right perspective or the true news because we've coined a phrase that is new to our dictionaries, fake news. And so much fake news out there that we have these sites that go to fact check whether someone is saying something that is true or not. It's a far cry from the days when Walter Cronkite, a news anchor, was viewed as the most um, uh, trustworthy man in all of the United States. So the problem is, is when news breaks, we have a choice. Are we going to believe it to be true, or are we going to call it out as fake? The gospel, in many ways, is the same thing. When the gospel, the good news, the euangelion of God comes to people, a choice has to be made. Will I believe it to be true or will I define it and call it out as a sham, as being fake? This angel comes and he shares this news, this good news with the shepherds. And what we're going to see is not only do they receive the news, but they take it for what it is, and it changes their life. I want to show you this morning five truths about that good news, that message that the angels shared, and why that should be a a hope and a joy and a comfort to us as Christians. And then I want to finish up the message by giving three applications as to why we need to now take this and do something with it. So let's look first at the news that was given. First of all, we see that when uh, the angel appears to the shepherds, this was a planned message. It was planned. It was not done off the cuff. It was not thought of in the moment. But it was something that had been planned, that had been orchestrated in eternity past. And it was going to go off without a hitch. It was going to be the unveiling 
of a lifetime. Recently, the electric car company Tesla unveiled a brand new full-size state-of-the-art truck, and it captivated the automotive world. Elon Musk, the uh, owner, CEO, board president, whatever his official title is, led the uh, unveiling. And he began to talk about, while camera flashes were going and people were ooing and eyeing, all of the things that this new Tesla full-size truck could do. And he would talk about all the amazing things. He took a sledgehammer and, and showed what a sledgehammer does to a Ford or Chevy door, and it smooshed in the door, and he took the sledgehammer to his truck, and it bounced right off. It was pretty amazing. And he says, if you think that's good, he says, I'm going to bring one of my assistants out, and, and what they're going to do is take this metal ball, and I want to show you that the windows that you're going to be sitting behind are bulletproof, and we're going to prove it to you. And he says, he takes, he has his young uh, associate take this metal ball and he throws it against the window and he's expecting that the window is going to stand strong and amidst it, bang. I slowed down Elon Musk's face on the YouTube video, the absolute terror in his eye when he sees what was supposed to be unbreakable break. And then he doubles down, and he says, okay, it must just be a bad window. Throw it at the back window. Wham. And in front of the world, this man known for technology showed himself in one way. Let's give him some. He has a pretty awesome and state-of-the-art piece of equipment behind him. But in one area of that unveiling, things went terribly wrong. Can I tell you something? There were no oopsies or uh-ohs from heaven when the story of Christmas was being unveiled. Nothing went uh, against the plan. Now, the amazing thing about that is God used finite, broken, fragile people as the characters, as the cast in the story when, where everything could have gone wrong. But just as Paul says in Galatians 4.4, that at just the right time, and in just the right way, God sent his son to be born of a woman under the law that he might redeem those under the law. And there was never a time where God sitting on his celestial throne in heaven gave a smirk or a grin trying to hold it together so that a watching world might see that he made a mistake. Listen to me very, very carefully. God makes no mistakes. And what he has orchestrated in our lives will come to fruition. And we can have hope and we can have solace that we trust in a God who doesn't fail, who doesn't falter. And the story of Christmas tells us that. So notice at the beginning of chapter 2, we're not going to unveil all of this or unpack all of this, but in, in, in Luke chapter 2, we see some of the plans. Notice what the text says. It says that the reason why the angel goes to Bethlehem is because that's where Mary and Joseph are. Well, why are Mary and Joseph there? Because Caesar Augustus, who is the nephew of Julius Caesar, issues a decree for a census to be taken. He wants to raise taxes. He wants to raise revenue for his empire. And so 
He sends people to their hometown. Joseph, who was of the city of David, heads city of uh, Bethlehem, was about 100 miles from where he was living in Nazareth. It's five miles south of Jerusalem, Bethlehem is, but it's not known for anything. It, it's, a, it, it's like Hinkley in a lot of ways. When I tell people where I'm from, they're like, what? And I have to then say, well, listen, we're not too far from Aurora. And, and it helps them. Okay, that, I, okay, I know that. And that's what a person from Bethlehem would say. Where are you from? I'm from Bethlehem. Where? Oh, um, it, it's close to Jerusalem. But what we know is, as we learned last week, the prophets shared glimpses of what God's plan was. In fact, in the book of Micah, some 700 years before uh, this was unveiled, God spoke about this very little town of Bethlehem being great because he was going to bring the Messiah to it. And he does. You see, the message that the angels shared, listen to me very carefully, did not happen that first Christmas Eve night, but it was in the heart and mind of God in eternity past. And God at the right time, in the right way. Some have said it was like God was watching the sands of the celestial hourglass empty. And when that final grain of sand went from the top part of the glass to the bottom, God said to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, it is your time. Hit the stage. And he did. It's a planned message. Notice second, it's a positive message. It's a positive message. So the shepherds are out and an angel appears to them. And what does the angel say? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news. Remember, I just shared with you that good news is two words that describes the gospel. It is good news. The angel shared the gospel, if you will, to the shepherds. There's a redeemer. There's one who is going to come. And he's closer to you than you think. And it is your job, it is your priority to get to that redeemer and get as close to him as you can. That's the story that the angel is sharing. Now this isn't bad news, this is good news. Here's why. Because God had every right and reason to condemn us. God had every right and reason to consign us to hell. But the angel says, I've got something good for you. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to uh, be consigned to a life of fruitlessness. You don't have to live a life that lacks the joy and the experiences that God wants you to experience as his creation. You don't have to be that way, shepherds, or people of Village Bible Church. You don't have to be that way because today in the city of David, a Savior, a Redeemer, the Messiah, has been born. What makes this message so positive is it because it brings peace. Notice in the text that the positivity emits all kinds of chaos, emits all kinds of difficulty. They're under oppression in Bethlehem, Roman oppression. They're being taxed. That means that the oppression is getting deeper and deeper. They're being told what to do. They feel enslaved 
They feel like they're in bondage. They feel like they can't get their head above water. And in that world and in that moment, Messiah comes. I want you to know this morning, maybe you're dealing with some hard things. Maybe you yourself feel oppressed because of sin, because of circumstances. Maybe you feel in bondage to addictions and struggles. Maybe there's relational strife or or brokenness. Whatever it may be, I want you to know that in that same culture of the first century, God comes to you and offers his son as your savior so that you may have one very important thing, and that's peace. This message is full of peace. And it's something that uh, what they share is, is important for us to hear. Notice in the text that it says that they need to not fear. Well, that is kind of the running thought of when an angel shows up. It seems like the first words out of the angel's mouth is fear not. Now, is it because they're incredibly ugly or scary looking? Probably not. In fact, we are told that angels are beautiful, but they are so awe-inspiring and so out of this world that they take people aback a bit. And so the shepherds are freaking out, and they're quaking with fear, and what he declares is not judgment. Now remember, one of the most, and probably the most involved angels were, outside of the Christmas story, was that angels brought judgment. They brought messages of doom. And we see that over and over again. In fact, one of the most incredible stories in all of the scripture is when the Assyrian army has surrounded the people of Israel in Jerusalem and 185,000 men strong are ready the next day to decimate the people of God once and for all. And in that day, The king, a righteous man, prays, Lord, you've got to come through. God, you've got to show up. There's no way we'll win this battle. They're all around us. We are going to perish. And then that night, it tells us that an angel appeared, and he struck down all 185,000 of those men. I would be afraid if an angel showed up. And that's what the shepherds are worried about. We know what angels come to do. They bring death and destruction. Another important reminder. Remember what the Israelites would have known as they celebrated Passover every year. That the thing that they were celebrating was that God protected them from an angel who passed over homes and killed the firstborn in all of Egypt in every household. Angels are scarier than you and I usually give them credit for, and I I blame precious moments for that. (laughs) So if you've got precious moments things, boycott them, let's bring them next week and we'll break them, because chubby little cute babies are probably not the best description of what we're talking about. But notice what they do. They say, fear not. He goes on in the heavenly host say in verse 14 that God is bringing peace on earth. Not war, not judgment, not fire and damnation, but peace. 
Some of you this morning are struggling with peace. And you're struggling with peace for a lot of different reasons. And the Christmas season isn't altogether helpful because many of us are struggling from a lack of financial peace. And, and, and what are we going to do? How are we going to be able to meet all of the cultural requirements that we have or obligations that we have? Others of you are dealing with marital peace. And, 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 and you see what seemingly is advertised, that everybody's got a great relationship. And you turn on a, on a Hallmark program, and, and you see everybody's got it figured out, and how romantic everything is, that everything finishes, and, and, and everybody lives happily ever after. But you're not. There's no marital peace. Maybe there's no relational peace, whether it's with your children or with your family or, or with a friend. And peace is elusive in our worlds. Peace advertised, is advertised a lot, but very few find it. And what we are told is that God has brought the peace. The peace that transcends all understanding. God has brought that peace in the person of his son. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we will have peace with ourselves, peace with the world, peace with God, is if we turn to Jesus Christ and allow him to give the peace. And remember, last week Pastor Phil reminded us that this Jesus, this Messiah, is the Prince of Peace. And so we've got much to think through. Now, how can I have peace? Tim, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the struggles. Well, let me tell you what God says to all of us. Let me just give you a litany of scriptures, just one after the other. This is what the Lord says and why I believe you and I can have peace. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. He goes on in the New Testament and tells us, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall wear. He goes on in the New Testament and says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It goes in the Old Testament that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? In a world of chaos and fear, God brought a word of hope and peace. Now, right away you say, but wait a minute, Tim, how do I know it's for me? Notice it's a personal message. It's a personal message. Notice it goes on and it says that I've got good news for you. Fear not. I bring you good news of great joy for unto you is born a Savior. To you. We need to underline that. We forget that. It was given to us. Now you say, wait a minute, he's talking to the shepherds. Yes, the shepherds are the one he's talking to, but we can hold that and say that's for us because in John 3.16, we are told, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Who's the you? It is us. We are the world's. And God has given his son to you and to me that we might experience the peace 
and the joy and the mercy that that personal Messiah gives to all who will call upon his name and be saved. And so no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're going through, Christmas is a reminder that you have with you a personal Savior who created you, who has walked with you every step of your way, who knows the number of hairs on your head, for those that aren't bald, who knows what you're going through, We are reminded in the book of Hebrews that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, but one who has been tempted and who has had to struggle with putting on flesh and living life, and he did so with perfection. That Jesus now intercedes to the Father on our behalf, and he is the one, and it is his righteousness that we will stand before God clothed in and because of that, we will experience the blessing and the, and the signature of sonship and daughtership, not because of the righteous things that we've done, but according to the mercies of a personal, awesome Jesus who gave his life for you and for me. And we should all amen that, right? What a gift this Christmas. A gift that was given to you. A gift that you were able to open. Jesus is so big, so grand, so awesome that he is exactly what we need. And he accomplishes everything that he advertises. Well, what does this message do? This message brings forth praise. Praise. The angel announces this. And then all of a sudden, the angels all show up. We are told in the text that now in verse 13, with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this is really important because what we think is that the angels are singing for the benefit of the shepherds. And I want you to get that out of your minds. Because what we've got going on is an overflow of what was happening in heaven already. In Isaiah chapter 6, we are told that Isaiah gets this vision where he sees the temple of the Lord. He says, I saw the Lord seated, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then he begins to look around after he takes his eyes off of God on his throne. And he says, and I saw cherubim and seraphim, names for angels. And they were announcing over and over again, myriads of these angels, announcing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Why do angels... Why are they continually praising God? And I'm going to tell you why. Because like us, they are in many ways finite. In many ways, they don't know the plans and purposes of God. The Bible makes it clear that God reveals much about himself, but there are secret things to God that are left for himself. And so even in heaven, the angels are wondering, what else does God know? What else has God got up his sleeve? What else is God going to do? Now, I don't want to speculate too much, 
But I would imagine that one of those secret things that God had, had left unknown to anyone, including humanity, but even more, the angels, was that the plan was not to continue to send prophet after prophet after prophet. The angels had seen that. They had been there and done that. But it must have been that moment when Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, rose up from his throne and said, Father, it's time for me to go. It's time for me to go and reconcile people back to us. And I wonder in that moment what the angels must have been thinking. He's going to go do that himself. Now let us remember that the angels had seen sin in heaven. Remember, Lucifer and a third of the angels rebelled against God in heaven in a perfect place. And what does God do? God banishes them from heaven. God kicks them out of heaven and combines them to the earth or to Hades, where they await judgment, the scripture says. Now God creates this creature, man, who's made a little lower than the angels. They sin, not just in the garden, but generation after generation after generation. The angels are looking at people, and they're going, listen, they're doing what our friends did, the demons now and the devil did. When's God going to destroy them? When's God going to banish them? And on that Christmas Eve night, Jesus stood up, and he says, I'm not going to condemn them to hell. I'm going to go and die in their place. And I think the angel said, wow. What a mighty God we serve. What an awesome God we serve. And what God did was he opened the curtain of heaven and all of a sudden those poor shepherds look up and there's not one now. There's must have filled the sky. And what they saw was what was going on in heaven. Praise and worship. I know some of you struggle with regards to praising God. I'm going to tell you, every Sunday we practice. This is practice. Josh leads our practices. Our worship team leads our practices. This is how we're going to worship. This is how we're going to do it. Why? Because all of eternity forward, that's what we'll be doing. So practice up. And allow the entrancement, if you will, of the glorious vision of what the shepherds saw be what you and I see when we sing praises to God. What a mighty God we serve. What an awesome God whose plans unknown to us bring us great awe and inspiration. It brings us to a place of praise. So that leads us now to three applications. I'll move quickly through these. But three applications. So the shepherds, now we pivot from the angels to the shepherds, but it is in response to the angels' message. That's why it falls under this, uh, this uh, theme that the angels are the cast members we're looking at. But there's a response. And the response to this message, first of all, is that the message that the angels give us and gave to the shepherds needs to be a priority. It needs to be a priority. Write that down. 
what was announced, the shepherds hear it. Now, they have all the reason in the world to just stand there starstruck by what they saw. And to just talk amongst themselves, wow, did you see that? Did you see that? But notice what the text tells us. When the angels, verse 15, went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened and which the Lord has made known to us. And notice what it says, and they went with haste. If you underline in your Bible, underline that. Don't miss that. They went with haste. What that means is it became their number one priority. It became their number one goal. It became their number one focus. Nothing could take them off of it. Whether they were hungry or not, did it matter? Whether they needed to use the bathroom or not, it didn't care. Whether they needed to feed the sheep or not, that wasn't the issue. The only thing they were focused in on was taking what they had heard and what they had seen and to share it with the world. What an important reminder for us this Christmas. Now, I am not a pastor who will beat up and and decimate the culture of Christmas because I think there's a lot of great redemptive things. I think that all the cultural entrapments that our world brings to Christmas is a great launching pad for us as believers to share the gospel in ways that maybe aren't afforded to us the rest of the year. But let's be honest. The cultural entrapments, whether it's Santa or the tree or the decorations or, or uh, the food or, or the festivities or the gifts, whatever those things are, let me ask you this morning, What is your number one priority? What do you want to accomplish this Christmas? Is it to get the family picture out? Is it to get just the right gift or to receive just the right gift? Or is it to make known to the world what you have experienced through the work of Jesus Christ? Make that your priority. Their number one priority is we want to get as close to Jesus as possible. Is that our desire this morning? To get as close to him as we can. Listen, long after the tree is down, long after the gifts are open, long after the food has been eaten, it will just be in January. You and Jesus. And so use this month, use this opportunity to renew your priority to Jesus. Jesus, this Christmas, I want to see you. Jesus, this Christmas, I want to experience you. Second, our response to the angel's message needs to be pondered. There's a couple things that we see, and again, this this, uh, concentric circle of influence moves on, and it says... As they go out and share, it tells us that when they saw it, they made known, verse 17, the saying that had been told to them. And all who heard it, verse 18, wondered. Underline that. Wondered. It doesn't say that they shot it down. It doesn't say they made fun of it. They wondered. And then it says that Mary, upon the shepherds coming to the place where Jesus was, that Mary treasured up and she pondered these things. 
Let us take time this Christmas to ponder and wonder about our salvation. The depths of which God has gone to stoop to rescue you and me from our sin. The great strength and power and majesty that it took the God of the universe who was holy and righteous to take and to exchange our sin with his righteousness. We assume and presume so much about our salvation. And Christmas is a time for us like Mary to ponder that and to wonder about that. And what that will lead to is again praise because we will see how much God loves us and how much God has done to make us his children. Finally, it needs to be passed on. It goes on and the text says that after they meet Mary and Joseph, it says that they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and that had been told to them. And they share that with everyone. You see, their lives had changed. Now they went back to work. They went back to the mundane events of life. They probably would never experience anything like that again, but that singular event of Christmas changed their life. And for us, while Christmas on the calendar took place of what we say is December 25th. Our Christmas is the day that Jesus entered the manger of our hearts. And what we need to go and do now is because in that moment of conversion, in that moment of salvation, we saw heaven's will being done on earth. And we experienced that great exchange. We experienced that great change. And you know what the Bible says that when someone repents, the angels start singing. And so what we experienced on our day of salvation was Christmas Day for ourselves. And we've experienced it, and our job is to take that message to the world. And so Village Bible Church, this we've got a couple more weeks before Christmas. Who needs to hear Good news of great joy. Who needs, go back for me, Sean, to the first point. Who needs to hear um, the five things that we talked about? I'm giving, um, yeah, great, great job, Sean. Who needs to hear about the plans of God? Who needs to hear about the positive news that God brings of redemption? Who needs peace in your world? Who needs to know that they have a personal Savior who takes away personal sins? And who needs their hearts to be filled with praise and honor to the Savior, the baby born in Bethlehem? Share that liberally, as the shepherds did, with others. There's a message that the angels proclaimed Let that be the message we proclaim this Christmas. Amen?